You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. Masterclass. 14 minutes past two every Wednesday, we bring you a masterclass. And today we're having a conversation around the work that's been going on at the Stellenbosch Institute for Advanced Studies and um, the, the project, the overall project that we are going to be looking at is part of an even broader project um, that is uh, called Being Human Today. And we're looking at a project that they've entitled the Effects of Racism Project. It was established in 2013. And so you can imagine over the years, um, a lot of conversation, a lot of uh, debates have taken place. A lot of formulation of thought has also happened. So what the Institute did is that they gathered together scholars from South Africa, from the U.S. as well as Europe, who have had previous experience in thinking about race. They gathered them together to engage in various questions, different issues and aspects about race. And these academics come from sociology, anthropology, geography, law, the humanities, and areas like education. And some of them, in fact, were anti-apartheid leaders and are still engaged in efforts to raise um, South Africans out of this chasm of injustice. And so joining us this afternoon to guide us through the work of the Effects of Race Project and what has emerged out of it and as far as thinking is concerned is Nina Jablonski. And um, she is... Um, uh, uh, um, part of uh, the Evan Pugh University. She's a professor of anthropology um, at the Pennsylvania State University. Nina, thank you so much for joining us. It's wonderful to be with you, Azania. So you are the project leader for um, this project, um, Effects of Racism, started in 2013. It sounds... Fascinating, just the title alone and, of course, what it presents, the possibilities of what it presents. What was the objective? Why was it established? This project was started because, well, you know better than I, South Africa, the last few centuries of South Africa's history have been bound up with race and racism. It's inescapable. It's part of the air that is breathed. And so what we sought to do was to understand how race and racism had become such a matter of everydayness in South Africa and how we could perhaps move beyond this. There have been lots and lots of studies and academic movements to examine race and racism in South Africa and elsewhere over the decades. Uh, but what we wanted to do was something a bit different, to try to create some new scholarship that could actually inform some public policy. Mm-hmm. And so we had a series of discussions Uh, meetings and writings over the years. It was hard but rewarding work. And boy, I think we hardly scratched the surface. Oh my, oh my. Uh, And when you say you've hardly scratched the surface, it just shows how how much how how this how stubborn this issue is and at the same time we know that race is a scientific what you call a scientific misconception um and so clearly it its power has proven to be quite 
durable over the years uh, uh, and, and it continues even today. So where does one even begin? Did you find that starting point on how to work your way through this thread? Well, I think so much begins, Azania, with with open, frank conversations and with education, because we know that the effects of race and racism cannot be undone quickly, but they can only we can only conceive of them being undone if we understand what the roots are and what the manifestations are. And also, if we educate young children about these things, and you know, this these sound like insurmountable problems, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We can well, imagine well, that we. Can, we'll sorry, come. We'll go. come to that. We'll come to that in a moment. As you say, that it sounds like an insurmountable problem, but it's not. We'll return to that question. I'm just curious about what you said about its roots, because often people will say, "Why? Why?" Uh, do we have racism? Um, and so what is your understanding of these roots? And we'll t- then talk about just how pervasive it is in its manifestations. Well, in, in many countries, uh, racism has its basis in differences in color that didn't in, in deep human history didn't matter at all to human interactions. But in the last few centuries, they've come to count a lot. And in the history of South Africa specifically, what we see is after an early history in the 1600s and early 1700s of people sort of getting along and and pretty well, especially beginning in the Western Cape, as we get into the 18th and 19th centuries with increased influx of people from Europe, as well as uh, populations of enslaved people being brought in from other countries into South Africa. We have these groups that are being formalized and labeled. And because each one of these groups is trying to protect its own stuff, and especially the minority groups, the Europeans and the people that they've brought in to work for them, are trying to protect their own interests, it becomes extremely important to to begin the process of separating us from them. And so the process of forming race isn't natural. It is culturally created. Mm. And what we see is that it's inherently bound up with power and material goods and basically creating precincts of privilege versus precincts of, of people who are working for those with privilege. Mm-hmm. So knowing that then, if we say that we know that it is just a concept why have we struggled to reject it? Why have we struggled to reject race thinking? Uh, uh, and, and because it continues apart from colonization, from the era of slavery, from apartheid and so on. Um, race thinking and race identities are constantly in the process of being being formed still, even with the knowledge that this is a construct. 
Well, I think it's it's easy for you know intellectuals to say race is a construct, but in in South Africa and in the United States where I live, race and racism are real, and people identify with race labels that were given to the groups that they belong to centuries ago. And those identities have been reaffirmed by a variety of different ways. And so we can say, okay, the basis of race formation is, is untrue. There is no basis. Mm -hmm. But if people feel that they belong to a group. And if they feel the effects of belonging to a group, whether those are positive or negative effects, then race is real. It is part of the lived human experience. You look around you in, in Johannesburg and you see the effects of race all around you because mm -hmm. people feel that that is their identity. And the economic realities for many people are forced upon them because of the physical segregation caused by those unreal, but socially real constructs. Mm. So how do we disrupt it then? We disrupt it gradually, but inexorably. We have to throughout the world, start understanding firstly, you know, why people made these categories, that these categories were created for purposes of power, for purposes of creating a hierarchy of human beings. We know these things to be false, but people now must understand them in their hearts. And then the most important thing is that having understood the inherent equality of people, that each person have the, has the economic wherewithal to be able to live their true destiny as a human being. And that's where the rub comes, of mm -hmm. course, because mm -hmm. when you are you know, living in a suburb surrounded by, by relative luxury and privilege, that is perhaps easy to fulfill. If you're in a township where you can't, you can't be safe, you can't get enough wholesome food, that destiny is much harder to fulfill. And so we must create pathways of economic opportunity. And that is where governments become the main avenues for fighting racism and for creating human prosperity. Mm -hmm. And this can only be done through decades of effort. Right. Um, I'm thinking about now um, in South Africa and the idea of non-racialism that we've heard various leaders, especially within the ANC, of course, uh, past and present. They continue to advance this idea of non-racialism, that this is what uh, the organization, the African National Congress, uh, believes in. It's an ideology and a position that they believe in. Um, Oliver Tambo, all those years ago in 1985, said that we mean non-racialism rather than multiracial. We mean non-racial. There is no racism. Multiracial does not address the question of racism. Non-racial does. There will be no racism of any kind and therefore no discrimination that proceeds from the fact that people happen to be members of different races. Um, <laughs> 
so when we think of these two notions, multiracialism, multiracialism, non-racialism, is this much of a muchness considering, as you said, that Yes, the basis of racism is untrue, but it is very real in our lived reality. Um, so do you have any thoughts? Was this unpacked, especially as far as it's, it, it is a, a, a belief of the, the political party that now governs South Africa, that informs what it believes, what it stands for, and what it does as part of governing and what, what gets legislated? I think uh, Tambo was an absolutely you know, brilliant, brilliant thinker and speaker. And when he spoke about the importance of non-racialism, this was a terrific, wonderful aspiration. But for most people in South Africa, non-racialism or multiracialism is an intellectual fantasy mm. because their lives are far too difficult. And, and so what we now need to see and what people in power in the ANC and other, other groups need to recognize is that the ability for humans to feel that they have agency, that they have the ability to become educated, get a job, and and fulfill their human destiny is extremely important. If people must only concentrate on the day-to-day -day necessities and keeping themselves safe and relatively free of stress, then they can't begin to think about bigger thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so, so much of the of the dream of tambo and non-racialism is about freeing people from the the daily grind of of difficulties and stress and and poor nutrition and worry so i i think this continues to be a major aspiration for south africa but when when people in power including in the anc are worried about their own sort of internal political arrangements and their own betterment, then the the good of all becomes lost. Mm -hmm. So perhaps uh, in terms of this belief, it should be unpacked even more to say that we believe in uh, people's freedom, their ability to uh, fully realize their potential, access to education, to economic opportunities, give it more tangible uh, manifestations or ideas of how it can manifest in society instead of this idea because how we break down this uh, power imbalance is to empower those that have been dispossessed, that have been rendered uh, with little power Yes, and you know this you know what you've just pronounced is is absolutely what should be the goal of 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 local, regional, and national government in South Africa and elsewhere, because humans have just terrific optimism and power within them. When I am in South Africa and talking to groups of young people, there's just such incredible energy and optimism about the future. And to waste that uh, is, is a great national tragedy. Mm, and well, so I think Yes, go ahead. 
uh, I was going to say, let's take the headlines and we'll come back to more of our conversation, especially on the effects of race on the individual, on the body, the human being who is living in a world that has been structured uh, to disempower and to uh, oppress them. Uh, my guest this afternoon is Nina Jablonski, and she is at the Evan Pugh, she's an Evan Pugh University professor, rather, of anthropology at the University of uh, Pennsylvania State. And we're talking to her this afternoon about the work that's been going on over many years and the work um, uh, that's the conversations, the debates that have been going on have been done under the umbrella of the effects of race projects that's been housed at uh, Stellenbosch uh, University over many years. Um, And this includes the work of uh, uh, academics in South Africa, uh, Bani Pichani is part of this uh, this grouping um, and a whole host of others and so we'll, un- we'll continue to unpack this conversation Masterclass And we're back with our Masterclass chatting to Nina Jablonski who's a professor of anthropology at uh, the Pennsylvania State University um, Nina we've got a call from one of our listeners Bongi who wants to contribute to the conversation on the work coming out of the Effects of Race Project Hi Bongi Hi, Azania. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Nina. I wanted to just get uh, Nina's opinion on 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 my thinking around how we can eliminate racism, and 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 it's really arising from trying to get people to understand that the, the different races as we describe them today is really a, 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 the key reason behind what we describe as different races today is really a difference in something as simple as the hair. Yes. And an understanding of the hair that a person has is actually an evolution to cope with the climate that particular people kind of lived in. So if you've got African hair, for example, which is coily, curly type of hair, that was an evolutionary mechanism to Mm. try and produce and um, get rid of heat from the from the brain so the hair the, the heat can actually come out of the hair if the hair is standing upright whereas people who live in cold climates their hair is straight and lies flat on the hair and that is designed to protect heat loss from the mm-hmm. hair from the brain yeah. that really the the key differentiator, and then we start to say this race, that race, whereas everything else is actually the same. You we know, go with that even with, with, with complexion. Yes. But the key thing is really it's the hair. And, and it's all about adaptation. Mm, it's it's, it's a yeah, product of adaptation. Different. We spoke to it's Pact a few years ago, Bongi, it was made for such fascinating listening. I'll never forget that as they said that the difference between uh, what we call the different races is precisely around yes. that. It is the appearance, it's in the features, yes. skin tone, hair and so on. And they attributed yes. it to like 0.05% or something minuscule like that. That That is ultimately the difference That's between people. And it comes yeah, down to those descriptors, yeah, and, and everything else is really the same. Yeah, precisely. And it then, it then goes on to the earlier comment that it's actually just economic circumstances mm. that differentiate how somebody gets through in life. Absolutely, through circumstances, 
your chances are not as good as if you're from good circumstances. Yes. Uh, and I think what you yeah. raise also has to do with class, race, race and class, um, and how it continues, in fact, in South Africa to to uh, uh, drive this division. Um, thank you for the call, Bongi. Uh, there's another WhatsApp that's come in, Nina, and uh, one of our listeners says that they believe that racism stems from scientific or rather evolution theories forged by theorists such as Charles Darwin and the gang <laughs> that insist that darker-skinned people are direct, dis- are, are, are direct descendants of early humans and um, while lighter-skinned people are much more evolved group of people and I guess that is where the ideology of lighter-skinned people being a superior race group of people stems from. So that is the contribution of some of our listeners coming in this afternoon. And so um, I wanted to talk about the effects, as I alluded to before the break that we took. What are the effects of racism on health, on the human being uh, and their health as we now know it today? Asanya, these are the questions that came in uh, are really important, and I'd like to just briefly address them. First of all, Bonnie's points about hair are are really well taken. Hair is an important aspect of, of how we have adapted to levels of heat and sunshine, and, and the differences uh, are really differences of, of they're minor genetic differences, but they have significant differences for how we cope with different climates, especially when we think about our our early history, when we didn't have all of the built environment and clothing and so forth to protect us. Mm. Uh, the second uh, uh, WhatsApp caller uh, raises an interesting and important point. Uh, the evolution of, of, of humans as uh, discussed by Darwin in his works and many other people is not about the evolution of race and racism. And it's, it's a really, really important point to make that scientific data has been construed by racism, uh, and by, uh, by politicians and others to, to promote uh, a view that some people, by virtue of their appearance, are superior or inferior to others. Although scientists played a role, especially in the mm-hmm. late 19th and early 20th century, in promoting some of these, these completely unscientific uh, bodies of data, we now recognize that Darwin and the gang, as your as your caller described them, actually promoted a non-racist, non-race-oriented view of humanity. That humans were all one group that that was separated by the the tiniest uh, differences in skin color, hair texture, and other mostly adaptive traits. So that's really important to for people to know that mm-hmm. evolution is not at the base of racism. But let's get to your question, Azania, about the effects of, of race and racism on the body, because this is what people feel and have to deal with every day. We, we think about racism as being, yes, really bad and, and people can experience 
interpersonal violence, they can experience lots of discrimination in social situations. And what is often overlooked is that these problems are not just sort of immediate or psychological problems. They cause psychological stress that can be internalized for days, months, and years. When people feel that they are less than others because everything around them in their environment indicates that they are not as good or not worthy of certain things, they feel they internalize that feeling of inferiority and the stress that is part of that feeling of chronic inferiority. We now recognize that this is not a simple sort of psychological problem that can easily be reversed because that stress causes chronic physical problems, problems with the heart, problems with chronic depression. And these can, can promote a long-term failure to thrive throughout the lifespan. So racism is not just horrible in its manifestations that we see around us day to day, but it's horrible in that it affects people in the long term, in their bodies. It affects their ability to heal and to live a long, happy, happy lifespan. Mm. So, but rather shouldn't we be saying that uh, the chronic systematic um, trauma that is visited on people causes this kind of withering and wearing down and adaptations to uh, their, 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 their genes and their health rather than the feelings of insecurity. I mean, of inferiority yes. rather, as you put it. Precisely. You know, people have these feelings, but far more sort of serious with respect to their health are how these feelings become translated into, into the body itself, into the secretion of more stress hormones, into the feeling of, of simply not feeling very good. And this can be translated not only into chronic disease, problems of heart disease and so forth, but problems of, of interpersonal violence. People can feel as if they, could, they have no escape and they take their, their feelings out on others around them. Mm. And so we, we need to recognize that racism is this complex syndrome that can affect individuals and families generation after generation. And that this is this is sinister when we sap people of their human promise. Mm. Well, Nina, let's take a break. And then when we come back, we'll get a sense of how this informs policy, how this should really inform uh, uh, policy, especially in our understanding of the epidemics or the pandemics, I should say, that they are a consequence of this sort of systematic onslaught of trauma visited upon uh, uh, groups of people. So how should that, in, with our understanding now around epigenetics and the consequences on how uh, the body then begins to change, 
how do we respond? So more with my guest um, Nina Jablonski after the break. Masterclass. And we're back with Nina Jablonski and we are wrapping up our masterclass this afternoon by touching on a number of really outstanding questions from the work that the Effects of Race Project has been uh, uh, looking at. So Nina, what do we do now, um, especially with the thinking that has emerged out of this project? How does it shape and give, uh, how does it advise government's policy how does it shape uh, policies and decision-making? Sonia, I wish I could answer that quickly and easily, but this requires a, a big, big long-term commitment. And the most important commitment is to ongoing, frank discussion. Not only discussion among concerned students or, or professors, but discussion in the parliament, discussion in the highest levels of government, that race, concepts of race and racism are what paralyzes countries from fulfilling their their destiny. It paralyzes individuals from fulfilling their individual humanity. This has to be understood. And we have to have a lot of open discussion about how these processes are ongoing today. They haven't been uh, gotten rid of simply since 1994, 1996. As wonderful as the Rainbow Nation and the, and the ideas around it were, many of those high ideals about human equality and, and purpose and opportunity have been lost in the grind of reality of the last few decades. Mm. We have to rediscover these and understand what the roots of the problem were. Now, this is, you know, again, I'm, I'm an academic person and I realize that what I'm talking about in, in, in many cases is sort of pie in the sky ideas. But we know through part of our project that when you bring these discussions into classrooms and kids start talking about what they feel how they want to act toward one another, how they want to live their lives. We realize that this, that especially in South Africa, individuals are full of promise and we must be able to channel that promise into realized human adult lives. And that's where the politicians in the parliament and elsewhere really come in, in recognizing the importance of further education and economic opportunity to unleash this human promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how does this inform new scholarship on race thinking? And do well, we need it, to, to yes. do we need to um, kind of uh, address race thinking overall? I think so much of the scholarship now needs to be directed on how we promote better communication and how we understand the roots of discrimination and hatred, because we know that the fixtures of race 
lead to racism, which, and racism when it comes down to it, is a feeling of enmity and, and hate. Mm-hmm. How can we use what we know about psychology and anthropology and sociology to basically disempower those processes? How can we use new tools of communication to reach people in new ways? So the scholarship, I think, is going to be about using old tools in new ways to use modern media to get people together in new kinds of forums Mm -hmm. and also to connect people to the politicians that uh, that represent them. I think we now people in government need to recognize that they have an an opportunity and a responsibility to allow people to be fully human. Mm. I think what's important as part of this conversation is that there needs to be an intolerance for contesting things that are well established and are understood because often that derails the conversation and has been sometimes a, a, a useful tool. It derails the conversation to the point where you can't even recognize where it all started or what it is you were trying to achieve. Contest This contestation around things that should be well accepted in order to advance this conversation, I think, is, is, is key. And then is there any kind of thinking or understanding of the effects of race or, or, or racism on the perpetrators of racism, because we've looked at the 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 the, the, the part of the psychological, um, the health of uh, the victims of racism, but uh, we we don't often hear about also the impact because it not only robs victims of their humanity. There's also a, a, a consequence or an impact that happens to those who enact these kind of actions upon others. Absolutely. Azania, you've hit upon something that, of course, came out in the uh, in the reconciliation in the in the late 1990s in South Africa, that racism cuts both ways and that racists undergo the same kinds of internal destructive uh, uh, processes that people suffering from racism do. I mean, racists often can can afford to live a more privileged life, but the fact that they must manifest hate toward others means that their own life is cut short by the effects of stress and racism. So when we realize that that liberating ourselves from these cycles of race creation and racism makes us healthier and happier across the board, that should stop us from all of this procrastination and that you were just referring to getting us lost in tangents about issues that are no longer things to be contested we have bigger fish to fry as a species of humans we need to get over these these minor squabbles over old controversies and recognize that the poison that racism is for everyone in South Africa and elsewhere, and that humans of all backgrounds need pathways to full humanity and self-agency and realization. 
I want to thank you and we'll um, just direct our listeners to the work that has been done out of the project. Thank you so much, Nina. Zanya, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. That is Nina Japlonski, project lead for um, the Effects of Race project, which involved academics from South Africa, some from the US and a few from Europe as well, who have been coming together since 2013 to really debate and unpack the effects of, of race. And it turned into this project that sits under the Being Human Today uh, um, uh broader project that sits at Stellenbosch University. For me, it still confirms what Nathan Rutstein said, that prejudice is an emotional commitment to ignorance. It's all it is. It just continues to reinforce that. Prejudice is an emotional commitment to ignorance.